1: so I invite you to know with me allow my words to be your words if they fit and if not let them wash over you but what I affirm and know in this moment on behalf of myself and each person that hears these words is there's a power and a presence there's an infinite divine intelligence principle of life everywhere in general and nowhere in particular until I invite it into my consciousness my awareness my field of being and so in that I recognize the power and the presence of centering prayer, affirming my life, my unbroken connection with this force for good that goes by so many names and so many traditions. And what I affirm and know as I stand in in that divine union and one with it is that every good thing necessary for each and every one of us to experience this day and each moment beyond this day, that we take the, the, the consciousness upon the words, upon the music, upon ourselves out into our lives to look with awe and wonder at that which is seeking our attention and then we can choose wisely and wonderfully whether to run with that energy whether to incorporate it or to simply pat- let it pass by as michael singer so beautifully says in the untethered soul to lean back and witness what is going by and so it is a practice that is gradual sequential and inevitable i give thanks this day for music For beautiful musicians that continue to show up in the most amazing ways. For beautiful message, for the amazing avatars, wisdom, sages that have come down through the ages that bless us, the written word, all of the sacred texts that we draw from to enhance our level of beingness upon this planet, to make our spiritual life fully incorporated and fully realized and expressed in our everyday activities. I give thanks to know that every good thing necessary for each and every one of us to hear, to perceive, to speak, whatever it may be, makes itself available as we stand in co-creation with that infinite divine intelligence. I give thanks for all the blessings that have brought us together, for the prosperity and abundance that allows us to spend this time in this moment. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation for all they represent and know that there's something larger and more wonderful beyond what I've just articulated that has been invited into my and your experience. And with that said, I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Well, good morning. Here we are. And if you were with me last week, I made the announcement that we're, we're going through some changes with our musical program and I just want to acknowledge Teresa Griffin and her husband Darren and also uh, Kelly Collins for supporting us with their music today. So they're not here, but let's give them a round of applause anyway to say thank you guys and girls. And there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. Next week, if you're, for those of you that have been around a while, Robin Walters will be with us next week. And then we've got uh, Sparrow Grace coming on the following week. And we've got uh, the, the month of May is already filled up with great and wonderful things. And we're very excited about that and, and looking forward to, um, to see what continues to reveal itself. So change is good. I mean, planting the seeds of change is this month's uh, topic. And uh, so lo and behold, change. All right. So, The Way of the Untethered Soul, this has been an amazing, this is an amazing book by Michael Singer, and so rich. We extended it a month because there was just so much, as I read it more and more of it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is just incredible stuff. And this, today, is The Way, the way of the Untethered Soul, because it's a way of life. It's a way of life, and I think so many of us that are drawn to the spiritual path or the, to the depths of understanding our true nature, our, when, we, when we read something that gives us a, an insight, and a different perspective of what that looks like. It's just, it's refreshing and it's, it's uh, fulfilling and it's like, uh, you know, there's that recognition that we know, that we know. And so he's really such a great fit for what we teach. And in these last three chapters, chapters 17, 18, and 19, I think they are, he talks about contemplating death as a practice. We'll share a little bit about that today. The, the second um, point is the secret of the middle way. And then he ends the book with the loving eyes of God. So contemplating death, the the secret of the middle way and the loving eyes of God. I wanted to share a quote with you that I thought fits so beautifully uh, with today's uh, lesson. And it comes from Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman. And Reverend Thurman was one of the primary influences in Martin Luther King's ministry in his life. And he was, quite a, you know, he was quite a pioneer, and he had a, a lot of courage. He took a stand, and he really brought into the, the, the cultural awareness. We call it the, the race consciousness. But the cultural conditioning and awareness about oppression back in the early, late 50s, early 60s. Um, and, and so um, Dr. Thurman wrote this. I don't have all of the quote up there because it's, uh, it's a bit lengthy, but I want to share with you the first part of it, and then I, I, wanna, I have a piece of it that I'm going to... Uh, Show up on the screen. It is true that for many people, the demands upon their lives are so great that only careful planning in terms of a workable timetable can see them through. And we see that th- throughout the culture, that we all have responsibilities, we take on a role within our work life or our career or our calling. And there are certain th- expectations that we create that the environment creates for us and then also the things that we create as well. He said, everywhere the demands are not great and overwhelming, the economy, the efficiency of an established way of functioning is undesirable. So, what he's speaking to there is, of course, that we need standards and expectations so that things work properly. There's timelines, there's efficiency, and, and uh, all the things that we, we uh, bring to, to life and bring to that effort. He continues, the purpose of such a pattern is not merely to accomplish more work and with dispatch, but it is to increase the margin of oneself that is available for the cultivation of the inner life. So in other words, in the shift of perception, getting more done and being more effective is not the, the goal unto itself. But when we can be more orderly in what we do and how we operate within our life, it creates a, a greater space for us to develop in a deeper relationship with our divine presence, with our divine nature. And so so isn't it interesting because what the culture will tell you, what most people will say to us, the more efficient we are, if we we can take 10 hours out of our work day or work work week to have more of that time, well, gee, there's 10 more hours that I can can do more work. When in fact what he's suggesting is the efficiency, the blessing in being efficient and being orderly and and being well-planned creates an order and a sense of, of connection for ourselves where the presence of spirit that divine relationship that is unique and beautiful and powerful has, has more availability for us. And I love that. It's just a simple shift in perception. So it's not about, about us working more and more and more and more and more, but it's in fact working in a way that's wise and wonderful and efficient so that there's a spaciousness to, to honor and address that part of our lives, but also then to be more available to the presence of spirit and how it's unfolding in our lives. Many people will tell me that I would meditate, but, you know, I don't have that time. And so, well, there's an opportunity to look at how you're managing time in your life and, of course, prioritizing and all that stuff. But we can always find an excuse for not doing things. At least I can. Anybody else here besides me? But I can always find a reason that there's too much to do. And so it's really that devotional piece to understanding that we are immersed in this thing called life, as Dr. Ernest Holmes would say, that it is everywhere present Nowhere in particular, but when we do our centering prayer, when we call it forth into our experience, we help heal any sense of separation. And when you and I live in that sense of oneness with it, life is quite different, isn't it? And for all of us, it it takes on different characteristics and qualities. So it takes time. So I'm going to share this part of the quote with you. It takes time to cultivate the mind. Dr. Ernest Holmes said, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. No one can force us to think anything. We choose to think all of it and what we give a home to. So it takes time to cultivate the mind. It takes time to grow in wisdom. It takes time to cultivate the qualities of living, which is, which is good news. So it's not a race. Just because we have done it in a certain way and it hasn't worked out for us up until this point does not mean that it's impossible. It just means there's more for us to do, more for us to know. It takes time to feel one's way into, into oneself, and it takes time to walk with God. And we deepen it, and that's gradual, and it's sequential, and it's available. So it's a beautiful thing, but but when we understand it from that perspective, I think it allows us a spaciousness to realize, hey, I'm a work in progress, just as you are. So this contemplation of death, the first point that I wanted to to, uh, speak to a little bit, as Michael Singer says death, most wise people understand that death is inevitable for all of us. The death of this physical body is something that's going to happen. And for mo- many of us, we don't know when that'll happen. But to understand it, and not in a sense of dread or "Oh my gosh," that you know you never know. But to understand that all we have is this moment, we have this time, we have this day. If someone were to say to you, "By the end of this week, we're punching your ticket, you're out of here," the whole week would look differently to you, wouldn't it? it would for me. I don't know what I'd do, but it would, I'm sure that the things that became our most precious to me I would be addressing in a, in a, certainly in a more um, intentional way. So he talks about how to live one's life from that perspective that each moment is a sacred moment, is a precious moment. It can be our greatest teacher and it can also help us deepen in our practice to touch the deepest parts of ourselves. What is this, what is stirring within me? What have been my challenges? What am I looking at that? that creates anxiety, fear, lack, limitation, struggle, whatever it may be. He continues in this chapter, we don't have to change our lives. We just have to change how we live our lives. See, we can't change the world. The world's going to continue. And we, can, and we can certainly take a stand for things we don't agree with. And not participate in them, but, but the place that we have the most impact is how we live our lives, the beingness we give to, bring to it. It's not what we're doing, it's how much of, of us are doing it, how much of our, our life force energy and from the consciousness that we do things. And it's so powerful, it seems, so, you know, it seems like a, um, a bit etheric and airy-fairy to talk about that, but truly, how much care and how much love and how much devotion can we bring to anything? You know, yesterday we, we came together because we're going through a lot of uh, changes with the music and, and uh, Darren and Teresa and Kelly came and we sat and we, we spent, we were going to rehearse for an hour and two and a half hours later we talked about music and how we would like it to flow. And so we created together in this collaboration and it was just, it was beautiful. I went home and I thought, wow, isn't it wonderful? And not right or wrong, good or bad, but when we, when we give our, our love to something, our, our attention to something, our devotion and our care to something, there's an aliveness around it that's quite lovely. And sometimes we can get into a routine, and sometimes it becomes more tasking and more tasking and more tasking. And I just thought, what a lovely experience. It was, it was great fun and, and, and brought a, a sense of joy and a sense of order to my preparation. So when we start letting go of that, this fear, that scared place, that scared part of you that won't let you live fully is what this practice will do, what our spiritual life will do. Because most people live in fear. Most people live in lack and, and, and this, this trepidation about what's next. There is no reason to be afraid of life. Absolutely no reason to be afraid of life. And yet so many people, so many of us, and I've, 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 I've done it too. There's no reason to be afraid of life. Last, last week I shared with you that you know, those of you that have been around for a long time, our, our um, music director, Brown Anderson, uh, resigned unexpectedly and so it was a busy week. I didn't know what we were going to do. And by Thursday, I thought, well, I'll pick out, we'll show this video. I got a home movie of my summer vacation in grade seven. I'll show that. <laughs> you know, I'm pulling stuff out of my grab bag. And so we get all done. And then Martin Kerr shows up. And, and Martin was great. And, and, uh, uh, we, and so we, it all worked out beautifully. But it was a really full week. And a lot of energy, a lot of adrenaline kicking in. You know, it was one of those weeks where you, you lay down, you're, gonna, you're ready to go to sleep, and then half hour later, all of a sudden, another idea pops in your head, and you're like, oh, yeah. And then you, I get up, and I walk around the end of the bed and do a couple circles, and I lay back down. I realize that there's nothing I can do right now. But that a- adrenaline's pumping. So anyway, I got done last week with the two services, and then we did a meeting with our practitioners, which was lovely, and I went home, and I sat down. And my heart was racing, so I tell you, whenever I'm doing this stuff, it always is the, the, you know, the, I'm always poked. Okay, you want to talk about this Mr. Wise Guy here? Boom. So I sat down, and Laura came in uh, about an hour later, and I was sitting on the couch. Because uh, between the time I, I noticed my heart racing and the time she got home, I thought, well, you know, I could, I could go for a walk. Or I could go buy a case of beer and see how fast I can drink it. Or I, can, uh, <laughs> or I could start smoking cigarettes again. All these thoughts about how I could distract myself from what was happening. And I realized, you know, there had been so much energy that had gotten um, activated and extended throughout the week, and I was still carrying it. And I thought, you know, eventually I know my heart's going to slow down. And if it doesn't slow down, I don't know what I'll do then, but I'm pretty sure it'll slow down. But I just pointed out to you how little things can trigger us. And, and, and over time, Laura came in and she was very sweet. She just let me alone to have my anxiety attack. So, how are you doing? I said, Mom, I'm having an anxiety attack. My heart's racing. But what it was really interesting is I think I've probably had many, many anxiety attacks in my life, but I never noticed it quite to the degree it was last week. Now, isn't it interesting? This too shall pass? It says that right in the Bible. It came to pass. And it did pass. But a part of it is that management of energy because it speaks to the extremes, which I'm going to talk about next. But there is no reason to be afraid of life. Absolutely none. And yet we come up with all these great reasons. And the fear will fade once you understand that the only thing there is to get from life, the only thing there is to get from life is the growth that comes from experiencing it. the only thing. What, how am I growing in this? How am I deepening? How am I maturing in this? How am I managing this in a new way like I never had before? For me, it was new behavior to simply sit in the anxiety attack and not feel like I had to fix it. I just thought, yeah, I'll calm down eventually. Life itself is our career, your career, my career, and your interaction with life is your most meaningful relationship. That's where the rubber meets the road. And how are we managing it? Because if it's true that we are eternal, that we are the individualized expression of the One. That our connection, we're not the totality of it. We are not God and complete, but we are a a wave of the infinite and the divine in the ocean of the divine. As above, so below. So it's really an opportunity with our practice to live life fully. Your greatest gift to yourself and and the rest of us to live life fully, to let each moment fill you, and to have patience. And when we understand that all our time here is finite. We've got a certain amount of time here, a certain amount of breaths we're going to take, is to realize that I want to maximize that. I want to do the best I can with what it is that I have available to me, to live life fully, to let each moment fill you, have patience. Dr. Holmes said in the Science of Mind textbook, what's important is that we truly live while we are alive. And I'm sure he just borrowed that from one of the great teachers that he studied, because he read extensively. He read all the traditions. He was a, he was, he, he built a mosaic of understanding, which are, 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 teaching stands on the second point this week is the, the secret of the middle way and the middle way is the Tao Taoism is a very uh, it, it comes from the Far East and it's a it's a way of life it's a way of being and it's also reflected in the Buddhist teaching the Buddha said it's the middle way the, the extremes. There's extremes, and Buddhist wasn't. And he tried them all out in his his uh, biography. We we find that he would try the aesthetic path, and then he he came from opulence, but he realized it was the middle path. The Tao was the middle way. There's there's <clears throat> and there's no energy no energy pushing in either direction. It's a balance. It's a balance in life with food, relationships, sex, money, doing and not doing, and everything else. The Tao symbol is the yin and the yang. The, the male and the female, the light and the dark, the contrast. Esther Hicks talks about that. Esther says that you've got to have, why, do, why is there suffering? Well, without the suffering, we don't have the appreciation for the joy. And when we understand both of those are our choices that we could participate in. We may be in something that, that is truly suffering. When I was having the anxiety attack last week, a small, insignificant little point, but I realized, well, I'm suffering. And, and what I did then is I just managed that the best of my ability and realized it would pass. But I could have, I could have run out and, and thought this was something wrong with me, that, something, you know, that I'd done something wrong, that I'm being punished, on and on and on. And I just realized this is my body's reaction to all the energy that's gone out this week. But I was so blessed to have the awareness. It wasn't some arbitrary force imposing something upon me, punishing me. It was just simply a, my, the physiology of my being processing. And the more clear I got about it, the, the, the faster it seemed to lift. So very blessed. And that was from this teaching and immersion in it. So the Tao is the path of balance. The contrast. In this, in this chapter, he talks about a guy I know of, I've used this a number of times, but smoking. And he uses the example of somebody chain smoking. And I know nobody here chain smokes, but let's just use it for an example anyway. And so in the, in the, the smoking, uh, he, he says, so this person finds himself always with a cigarette in their mouth. They decide they're going to quit, so they get the chewing gum. Remember the chewing gum? I've done that Nicorette stuff. It's terrible. Um, but you chew the chewing gum. It's got a little nicotine in it. gives you a little buzz. And that doesn't work, so you go to the patches, and the patches don't work. Or I've, I've had buddies that have done it. They get the gum and they and the patches, and then they really get the high from the nicotine. So. And then, of course, that doesn't work, so they go see a, a hypnotist and they do some work or they see a, a spiritual mind practitioner or whatever they may do. But anyway, long. so a whole year goes by and finally the smoking's done, mastered the smoking. And the example is so you can go up to that person after the year and say, what did you do this last year? Well, I quit smoking. And that's their answer because it takes all of your energy for many people to do that. It's a good goal and it's, it's a, it's a health, uh, healthy goal. But it's an example of how we can go from one extreme to the other. And how much of our energy can be drained simply by one, one activity. And so the way, Dr. Holmes said, the way, our natural way of being is one of freedom. And so when we're in the extremes, we're not in freedom. We're attached to something that's driving us. You know, and typically it can be an addiction. It could be an addictive way of thinking or being or a behavior. But the, the true optimal place to live our life from is one of balance between the two polarities not jumping into the extremes to let go of the extremes and then living in that sweet spot there's a sweet spot that we all know and it's different for all of us but it's just that all is well that, that wonderful book the boys in the boat i've referenced it a few times and i use it at the agm but it's a story of the eight men on the crew that go to nazi germany in 1936 and they win the gold medal and these guys, it's an amazing story because none of them came from a background that the rowing, the rowing crew is typically uh, more or less the well-to-do. They're, they come from a little bit higher class of, you know, it's a, it's a tradition within families. These guys came from lumber camps and fishing camps all throughout the, the uh, United States Upper uh, uh, Northwest Territory, Seattle area and thereabout. And these young men came together and, they, and what happened with, the, with them is they found their swing. They found their swing, which is very spiritual, because it went beyond the physical, and, and that's the sweet spot. And, and so when we can live in that, it's an example, that beautiful, deep understanding of finding our sweet spot in life and living more and more and expanding more and more. That's what Michael Singer's whole book is about, that untethered soul. The untethered soul is a freedom. It's a freedom from the from the emotions and from the thoughts and from the the worries and the anxieties to be able to manage it well, to understand, oh, there I am worrying again. But it's a practice, it takes time to develop that capacity. So the third part of this is the loving eyes of God. And I think it's such a beautiful example of a different shift in perception for so many. But the loving eyes of God, it's releasing the lower vibration. So what happens when we, start to, when we start to connect with spirit, when we start to step back, Michael Singer says to lean back and watch life go by us rather than trying to m- manipulate and grabbing onto every thought and every emotion, but to lean back, realizing we're not the thoughts, we're not the emotions, we are the observer of the thoughts and the emotions, it creates a space for us, a distance. So to lean back, releasing, and we release lower vibrations. The whole purpose of this is vibrationally, it frees us up. We're not in the extremes. All of a sudden, wow, look at me. Just like last week when I was sitting there and having the anxiety attack. Wow, look at me having an anxiety attack. And the more presence I could bring to it, the the sooner it dissipated. Because I'm sure I could have carried that all the way through my week. Drifting back, as he says, drifting back into ourselves. Go in and then go up. We drift up. Identifying with spirit. There's one life. That life is perfect. That life is God's life. That life is my life now. That would be a Dr. Ernest Holmes' practice, his centering prayer. And releasing the physical, the emotional, and the mental. And that we don't get rid of it completely. It just takes on a different perspective, a different space in our beingness. That frees up more energy, more opportunity, and more spaciousness. Last week, I talked about the four um, characteristics of people that have had... Um, Dramatic healing in their lives from Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And the, the last one was a time for spaciousness. Five, uh, long periods of no thought, doing nothing. Spaciousness. But in our culture, many times we feel like that's not effective because there's more to do, more to get done, more to get done. When in fact, it's an opportunity to just be available to the presence that wants to inform us. It takes time once again to cultivate the mind. It takes time to grow in wisdom. It takes time to cultivate the qualities of living. What qualities are important to you? What qualities do you want to give birth to and reveal? Who's informing you? What are you studying? What are you, what are you doing on a daily basis that, that is filling in that time that takes time and nurtures? It takes time to feel one's way into oneself. It takes time to walk with God. I pulled up a quote on this next slide from Sri Yukteswar. And Sri Yukteswar was uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's teacher who wrote the autobiography of a yogi. And his teacher was just an amazing man, just an amazing story. I'm about halfway through the book now. It's a wonderful book. And, it, it, and he talks in there, Paramahansa talks about his teacher, Sri Yukteswar. I used to see him in dreams. And then finally he found him, he was looking for his his guru as a little boy and and growing up and he finally found him. And he talks about this man that that had these amazing abilities, he would know uh, without any conversation what uh, Paramahansa was thinking, what he was doing in his meditations, it was just a, uh, it's very interesting because Ernest Holmes said that intuition is the highest capacity within, within humanity, it's direct communication with spirit. It also speaks to the one mind that we talk about in this, in our teaching. But Sri Yukteswar, this beautiful saint that was never interested in any notoriety, so he lived a very quiet life, and he taught his students, those who were attracted to him. Um, but his, his ministry beca- then became an extension of what uh, Paramahansa Yogananda shared, which is the Self-Realization Fellowship. He says, every natural passion can be mastered. Every natural passion can be mastered. Rome in the world as a lion of self-control. I, I just love that image a lion of self-control so we don't have to act upon all the impulses. Oh. You know, someone cuts us off in traffic, as Michael Singer says, have the experience right there and then be done with it. There's a novel idea. Instead of carrying it into work and carrying, and then, and then, of course, we, we reach the conclusion that everybody's a horrible driver. And then what happens? We just bring more horrible drivers into our lives. So that's how the law of attraction works, but to have the understanding. To, to roam in the world as a lion of self-control. I mean, lions are cool. They just sit on the, they just sit on the big prairie there, and, and the female lions go out and do all the hunting. They, they do all the heavy lifting. You, just hang, you hang out with your beautiful mane and get something to eat when the ladies bring it in. And, I mean, it's a great job. I'm just saying. I've watched enough of those shows. He continues, See that the frogs of weakness don't kick you around. And the frogs of weakness are those, um, you know, the, the, um, the Muslims would call it the nafs, our lower nature, our lower nature, our worries, our concerns, our fears. And it's not to say that those things, I think those things have value, but it's to, to not run with them and make them a way of life. Because what we give our attention to, what we appreciate, appreciates. And so if we give, give a lot of attention to lack, limitation, not enough, worry, concern, it appreciates. Boy, isn't that like Dr. J. Scott Neal used to say to me, there's nobody more miserable than a miserable metaphysician. There isn't. Who who are you going to blame for your level of thinking? Because no one can insert those things. But what we can do is we can have the, the, to work in the direction of awareness, bit by bit, gradually, as as, um, Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman said, it takes time. to to learn how to walk with self, to learn how to walk with spirit. So what happens with this practice, this beautiful book, and what's our opportunity, and I think what we stand for is to have spiritual practices in our lives that create that direct connection with this infinite presence. To lean back, to go within, and then to be lifted up. To distance ourselves between the triggering things that create suffering for us. That disconnection releases our lower vibration. So as we connect, the connection with spirit releases some of that lower vibration. So the more often we can do that, there, there becomes more distance, more distance, more distance. Releasing draws us back and in and up, as I just said, and we distance ourselves from thoughts and emotions. Because our thoughts and emotions, once again, one of the first chapters of this book is we are not our thoughts, we are not our emotions. And, and we wouldn't be able to perceive them if we were, but we are the thinker, we are the awareness that can observe them and experience them. And that's a huge, huge practice, realizing, wow, I used to think I wasn't good enough. I used to believe in lack and struggle and limitation. What can, I, what can I nurture in my own awareness that will shift and change that and dissolve that? That's the practices. What happens is the, the loving eyes of God as judging will stop. As we, step, if we, as we step back, judging of ourself and others in the world will stop because the nature of the infinite, as we heal the separation, the nature of the infinite is one of unconditional love. I was raised with a God that judged and punished. I was raised, I was nurtured with, that not only don't commit a sin, and I had the whole list there, my mother gave them to all of us, but to even think a sin was just as bad. About six or seven years old, I thought, I'm (laughs) hooked. I remember going to my first, I I was raised Catholic, going to my first uh, confession, and I didn't know what to confess. I'm, I'm like five. I, I was making sins up so I'd have something to talk about. You know, I was like... Mm-hmm. I didn't know any cuss words. I was never around any money to steal. I, maybe I, was, I wasn't coveting my neighbor's wife. You know, I mean, it was just... <laughs> I knew the big ones, but anyway... I was lost, but I, I came up with a few doozies. So judging will stop. God spirit does not judge. We're the ones that judge. The middle way, that place between the polarities. See, he uses a beautiful example of the sun. The sun is just like God. I mean, the, the Egyptians worshiped the sun. The sun god Ra was their god. But the sun shines on everybody equally unless we decide to hide in the darkness, hide in the shade. It is everywhere present. How much light can we absorb? How much light can we welcome? I mean, and it's such a great metaphor for God, God's presence and love, unconditional love. All the great saints that I've read that have lifted me up have said the same thing. You know, Jesus, he told the story of the prodigal son, the story of the brothers. The one brother says, hey, man, I want my fortune. I'm gonna go out in the world and I'm gonna have fun. I love that guy. Then he goes out in the world, and he has all this fun, and he does all the things he wants to do, and the other brother stays home and works hard, and he's like, oh, look at that idiot brother of mine. And so pretty, before you know it, a couple months go by, the other brother comes back, because he's gone through all of his fortune, and he comes walking up the road, and his dad sees him, and he goes, oh, my gosh, you know, let's get this, slaughter the, the prize calf. We're going to have this beautiful feast. He's come back, and of course, the other brother's upset, because he's like, hey, I, I was here doing the, what you told me to do, and look at him and he says yeah but he said I missed him so much and I just want to welcome him back that's such a great story we can go back any time repeatedly like Rumi said you can break your vow a thousand times and still go back until one day you don't break your vow anymore and that is part of life that's the school such a beautiful beautiful metaphor the infinite's nature is to give and give to whoever will receive it so are you making yourself available to a greater receptivity, opportunity? Your gifts that you don't t- claim your gifts, they don't go to somebody else. They, they go on the, the, the universal scrap heap, and they sit there because you, you, did, you and I didn't create that, that container, that mental equivalent, that ability to, to welcome and to hold what's, what's ours. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity to be different. And to do things differently as you distance yourself from the judgments and fears from the past. Freedom and renewal are awaiting an invitation.